everyone. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 160 of the podcast that is taking you on a journey through all of the Marvel superhero adventures from the beginning. We start with the Fantastic Four number one from early 1961. Well, not early 1961, but early you know, a long time ago, 1961. <laughs> uh-huh. And we've made our way all the way up to July 1967. We're going to be talking about five comics today on our new format of four, probably five issues. Those are going to be Fantastic Four 67, The Avengers King Size Number 1, Tales to Astonish 96, The X-Men 36, and if we don't run too long in the tooth, Amazing Spider-Man 53. Can we make it to the end of the month? We'll see. We'll see. With that annual in there, it might it might take a little longer. Except that the annual is a whole lot of fighting, so yep. maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. All righty. Um, I is it me? I think it's me. It's you. I have not started an episode in so long. I know right. this whole odd thing is going to wreck everything. The Fantastic Four. Only oh, it's not the anymore. Shame on me. Fantastic Four <gasps> sixty seven. Yeah. Look at that corner box. I was going to say it's got all four of them and then thing twice. And then Thing twice. So it's got all four of their little heads smiling at us. And then Thing is standing above the heads going, raw, I'm the Thing, Aunt Petunia, blue eyes. You know what's interesting is the next issue, the same thing, but it's Reed Richards. So are they just going to like <gasps> swap them around? Do they cycle through? I love that they rotate through the Fantastic Four. Yeah, that's kind of, I wonder how long they've been doing that and we haven't noticed. Let's see. Last issue, they did the same thing. Invisible Woman got her debut. Wow, Cute. that's a really cool idea. And the Human Torch. So they've done it already for all of them. All right. Yeah. Neat. Okay. So uh, we left off last time with the Beehive. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And this chapter is called When Opens the Cocoon, featuring the creature in Loch 41. Not Loch Ness. That's a whole other country. <laughs> At last, the fabulous FF finally discovered the uncanny power of him. Alicia Masters has been mysteriously brought to a hidden land, not only as the Citadel of Science. While back at home, the brilliant leader of the Fantastic Four toils tirelessly, seeking a way to rescue the missing girl. So somebody showed up in her apartment and walked her through a wall. And they're trying to figure out how this was possibly done. Proudly produced by Stan the Man Lee and Jack King Kirby. Exotically embellished by Joe Sinnott. Laboriously lettered by Artie Simic. Special order computer furnished by the friendly Forbush Leasing Corp. So Reed Richards has taken a scan, a photograph of the bracelet that um, Alicia's captor was wearing. And he has blown it up on... um, like a projection so we can see all of the circuitry involved in this bracelet so that he can make printed circuits of his own bracelet device to go through the wall. The thing does not understand modern miniaturized electronics because this is all newfangled technology. So he gets read a lot of crap. Um, But then uh, people, let's see the, they bring some suits, they bring some, printed circuits and but it's like what are those little bitty things inside the box it's like those are circuits that's what's going to get us into the thing meanwhile back at the beehive alicia and one of the science citadelians whose name is escaping me we're just going to call him person number one person number one and alicia are going to go find him because alicia has been tasked with the oh so important job of feeling the face of this perfect creation that they have made that has now turned on them. 
And person number one is set to destroy it. But Alicia wants to find out who it is and have compassion on it. So as they get closer, some ray blasts start flying at them from down in the cave. And person number one shoots at the cave. And Alicia's like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Don't kill the person. He's probably friend-shaped. And um, yeah, uh, the person number one gets tangled up in some tentacles. So Alicia keeps running down. Meanwhile, persons two, three, and four are arguing over what they're going to do. And they hop in the whiz wagon and drive through the project. <laughs> Um, it's some sort of, uh, car that is going down some sort of ramp in a really, really big science complex. But, you know, if you picture the whiz wagon driving through the DNA project, you're, you're there. Um, meanwhile, Johnny and Crystal are having breakfast and, uh, uh, Susan is up helping Reed and Ben. Um, let's see. Susan shows up. Crystal is, uh, making coffee. Susan gives pancakes to Ben. He's like, oh, I guess I'll just have a bite. Picks up the entire stack of like 17 pancakes. And these are like good, like 10 inch pancakes. They're all like <laughs> flopped over on the fork. And you're just like, no, you know, just like baby Yoda and the egg, just all in his mouth at one time. Anyways. Um, so reach shows up and like, okay, I've made the circuits. I think I'm ready to go. Um, we just, you know, we have some coffee and we'll get out of here. Reed had his, Reed has his, um, trademark. I've been working a long time beard going in. Meanwhile, back in the tunnels, Alicia is walking in the tunnels and she finally comes across him who is about to be born. But right now, all she can feel is his cocoon. It's a, a large cocoon with all these little like nodules going down the sides. Uh, they look like, um, scallops. Like, he just like, traced his side full of scallops. Mm, I want some scallops. <laughs> and so anyways, it's like about to emerge. It's like, oh, you're so powerful. So the Fantastic Four print out the circuits. They say, no, it's too dangerous for girls. We're going on our own. They uh, Reed puts a uh, bracelet on with the circuits, grabs Johnny and Ben, goes through the wall, and they show up in the project, the Citadel of Science. And they start fighting their way through bad guys, and person number one catches up to Alicia in the hallway and says, Hey, that's the that's the person I'm trying to kill. She's like, No, don't try to kill him. He's weak. He's terribly ill. He needs a doctor. You're a doctor. Help him. He's like, But no one's going to be able to stop him if he comes to life. And if it means my death, I'm going to destroy him. So he raises his gun and the cocoon blasts them with energy and starts to starts to erupt with energy like it's about to open up. The Fantastic Three, because it's too dangerous for girls, are yeah. fighting in the Citadel of Science. They hop on wagons. They uh, punch out people. And eventually they make it to, they hear that Alicia went down lock 41. So they drive a car to where they see lock 41. They go down the tunnel and finally Ben has found Alicia and the other two Fantastics are there. And they say, what's going on? What's down here? The other three scientists, people try to stop them, but no. And finally, everyone sees walking forth out of the energy, a golden blonde haired figure and like, it's the monster. He's caught us at last. But he's not a monster. He be sexy. And uh, um, Rocky. That was, Reed Richards said that. Yeah. Rocky Horror walks up and says, um, y'all are my creators. I know the y'all are evil. Um, I have no reluctance to what must be done. He's about to kill them. We're like, no, no, no. No, don't kill us. He's like, I'm not going to kill you. I'm just going to leave because humans are not cool enough for me. And um, I'm just going to skadoosh. 
But someday a half-remembered legend may tell of the time a cocoon burst open, proving in one cataclysmic moment that the child is father to the man. Mission, destroy the FF. Mm. It's funny you said Rocky Horror because I've never seen that movie or play uh-huh. or whatever it originally was. Right. But I was recently perusing like top greatest sci-fi movies of all time because I want to read or I want to watch some sci-fi movies I haven't seen, right? Mm-hmm. And that was on there. It's like, is that a sci-fi movie? I had never heard that that's a sci-fi movie. Um, is that a sci-fi movie? That doesn't make any sense. Technically, yes. There are there is space, there is aliens. Okay. Um and and uh, yeah, the opening like a, song says it's a science fiction double feature picture show. Okay, I thought it was a weird like BDSM party or something. I mean, that too. Okay. <laughs> You're not wrong. Oh, okay. <laughs> but with the trappings of science fiction or maybe just like some science fiction window dressing. Oh. Um, do you get the feeling like this was one of those like this felt very Star Trek villain TOS mm-hmm. to me, like in the end he just waves his hand and the solution is he's omnipotent or whatever. And then um, they find the three brains in the cave and they decide to kill the three brains. Yeah. Or just like, we're sorry we created so much problem. Let's just undo everything. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't, I don't feel like they were ever going to uh, revisit him again. So in that sense, like this story was kind of just like ho-hum, but it is kind of cool that we know this guy goes places. Yeah. I had never heard before, but I heard online in the last week or so that he was, or him was intended to be, Jack Kirby's mockery of Ditko's objectivism. Okay, that's really deep. Because the objectivist idea is that the ideal human would actually turn against humanity. Oh. So is that a mockery or is that him? Mockery might be too strong a word. It seems like they just leaned into it. Yeah. So um Maybe just putting a super fine point on it, say, yeah, this is what your objectivist person would be like. He would he would not be a good person. And everyone uh-huh. would try to kill him. He would try to kill them. Um, I'd never heard that before. But the idea that he is the perfect human does stick with his character for, in some flavor, every incarnation of his that I've read. Mm-hmm. Um, he, the fact he that definitely, he didn't show up until the last page is something I'd completely forgotten. He definitely... Uh well, it's hard to say that he changes because we don't get a lot of his personality in this storyline. But I almost forget half the time that he was a creation of a hum- of people, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you're when you're reading Adam Warlock stories, so but I haven't read a lot of Adam Warlock. Mostly just his involvement in Infinity Gauntlet, and then I really enjoyed the spinoff series from that for a while. The Warlock, right? Yeah, that was guys. my first exposure to him too. The Infinity War uh, was my first Adam Warlock story, and they gave his backstory in that, and I was like fascinated by the, I don't know, six panels of flashbacks they gave for his backstory. Mm-hmm. And I've since read all of that stuff a couple of times through. And uh it's it's two different animals, mm-hmm. but they're both they're both they're both pretty pretty worth reading for different reasons. But Starlin used him a lot, right? Yeah, Starlin would be the second animal. The first animal, I forget who the writer was. I want to say it was Thomas or Conway, but I just don't remember. Mm. Um, that was where he goes to a planet in counter earth and he's basically their Jesus in the 1970s. Wow. Okay. It even ends with the whole crucifixion and everything. So it's like, and we got hints of him in the MCU, but he wasn't, he was being designed by, uh, whatever that race was called that was also orange and perfect. Right. And you know, I think they've been playing with the idea of what they want to do with Adam Warlock for a while. Cause you saw his cocoon uh-huh. in guardians of the galaxy before mm-hmm. that. But that didn't turn out to be him. 
Well, they never really showed what it was, so it could be him. Right. I guess it could be, yeah. Yeah. But then it seems to be kind of a separate thing from the cocoon we see at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Isn't that where we saw it, or was it someplace else? Yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, yeah. Right, right, right. So I don't know if they're going to use him in Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special, which is the next Guardians of the Galaxy (laughs) movie. I just don't know. I don't know either. They're going to have too many things going on, probably. I did love the beginning of this story with the fascination with miniaturized circuitry. Mm-hmm. Because I remember reading, did you ever read The Terminal Man, one of Michael Crichton's early novels? No. Okay, so I went on a Michael Crichton kick back after I read Jurassic Park, and I was like, I'm going to read everything. Uh-huh. And uh, I don't remember a whole lot of the actual story, because I read it when I was young, except that he did talk a lot about the new developments of miniaturization in electronics and how much that could do for technology. And for us, it's the most natural aspect of electronics. But here in 1967, or in 1972, when the Turtle Man was written, the idea of miniaturizing microcircuits, that was the newest, coolest thing ever. Mm-hmm. And I love how they bring that into the story here. And it's like he has a 3D printer also. You're right. He does have a 3D printer. Like, isn't that what that thing was that created yeah. the creates the wristband that he uses? Seems like it, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like hokey. In a way, it's kind of hokey, like that he can just exactly duplicate based on this infrared thing that he did last issue. But on the other hand, it's Reed Richards and I'm fine with it. Like it's cool. Only yeah, Reed Richards like, though. It's comics, but it's Reed. Yeah. So. And, and they really go to a lot of trouble of like making it legitimate. You know, there's like pages and pages of schematics and explanation and science. So that was kind of fun. Um, the person who's, I just looked up, his name is Hamilton. Uh-huh. Um, he says on page three, uh, it's all my fault, mine and the other three who created him. Mm-hmm. We dared to tamper with nature's greatest secret. We tried to create a new form of life, but mm-hmm. we couldn't control it. Now I'm like, well, God had the same problem, according to most stories. So, <laughs> you know, you're in, you're in good standing there. So there's Hamilton, and then later the three of them that are behind, one of them, the blonde one who looks just like Hamilton, is also upset by the other two's evil ideas. Mm-hmm. So it's like two out of the four of them weren't aware of what the plan was exactly, or they just weren't thinking ahead or something. And the other two were like, yeah, we really wanted to use this new human to take over the world. What? What? Larry, you never said that before. Yeah, beard dude and Picard hair dude yeah. are, all about, are all about some evil. Yeah. And the two blonde guys who are, I guess, twins, because they look exactly the same to me. I guess uh, so. One has glasses, so they're not twins. They're fraternal. But uh, yeah, that was kind of interesting. I wonder if hey, these guys are ever the revisited again, like by, I guess they're dead, but does Adam Warlock ever think about his fathers or does he not care? Um, Adam Warlock, not so much, but I do know that the Citadel of Science comes back. Mm. And I'm trying to remember if I put this in the end of the episode or not. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, I did. I did. I did. But they do come back. I want to see if it's the exact same people or if it's just the group. So I'm doing okay. a quick search on appearance lists. Uh, but while this is coming up, um, I love the, the breakfast scene that yes. Ben Grimm is eating wheat cakes. It's like Ben Grimm and Peter Parker both love wheat cakes. Mm-hmm. Do they call it wheat cakes? They do call it wheat cakes. Made me happy. I do kind of hate that Crystal is serving Johnny and then Sue shows up and immediately puts on an apron and everybody else just sits around. But yeah, we've already kind that. of established that Sue likes domestic stuff. I don't know, but it's like that's just because Stan thinks she does or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of awkward. 
Crystal is playing housewife slash mom to her boyfriend. And then Sue walks in, who, by the way, has mm-hmm. already been up for hours in this scene. Alicia tells us this. Johnny's mm-hmm. just waking up for breakfast. Mm-hmm. But Sue has been up for hours helping Reed. And she walks in, puts on an apron, and serves them breakfast. You know what's neat, though? I kind of didn't notice this, but they're like, oven microwave thing is like super advanced that's kind of a cool little detail mm-hmm. like it's not just something you buy at sears it's something made by mr fantastic just to cook breakfast i guess um now and apparently then, go sorry ahead. go ahead hamilton does not come back i think he's the one that dies in the tunnel but the other three morlack shinsky and zota they are ones who do come back their next appearance is incredible hulk annual number six oh, so they lived huh they lived Something that made me like gasp horribly was uh, the beginning here where Crystal's serving Johnny breakfast and he's like, this toast isn't hot enough. And initially I was like, oh my God, that's really over the top. Mm -hmm. But then it turned out he was just using that as an excuse to do flame powery stuff. It's like, oh yeah, he's the human torch. Of course, that's what that was all about. For a second there, I thought he was a horrible monster. Page 10 is a fantastic page. Yes, it's really cool. Great cocoon design and the little like swirly galaxy star thing on his face. Mm-hmm. I really like. I wish you could remove the speech balloons, and I think it would be like a, a good cover of an issue of analog or something. Mm-hmm. It's just it's a great sci-fi pinup. I really like Alicia in this story too, except for the part like the reason why she's there is kind of mm-hmm. stupid. But I like her interaction with him. It was I like her neat. presence. It's the first thing she's like been an actual player in a story for a long time. Well, it's funny because um, the last time she was a player was kind of the same note, though, was like her trying to understand Silver Surfer. Right. And now she's trying to understand this new human. So it's like maybe her day job should now be to interact with aliens or something. First contact, Alicia Masters. Yeah. And I don't know if she's just like so empathetic that like that's just the note they're going to play with her, that she's going to meet all the new alien people and make them feel like human. Or because she can't see that maybe she doesn't judge people by their looks like we do. Oh, initially up front you know i don't know the whole too dangerous for a girl thing crystal and susan storm and <sighs> elemental and your invisible powers are both going to get left at home you know i believe it was last issue reed was like i really want you to stay home but i have no right to be a horrible person and we're, mm. we were like that was a close one reed and then this one was like no never mind i'm gonna be a horrible person stay home lady now he does say, we don't know what dangers await us, and I can't let you face them. Not you. Not now. And yes. I'm wondering if it has anything to do with something that's going to come out in the annual next I week. I also was wondering that. So that is going to be the headcanon, because otherwise, where did this come from, right? Right. He's never said that before. Um, that's got to be what it yeah, is, right? That's the first when, appearance when of come him slash Adam Warlock. I'm sorry. Sep- July 13th. And the July annual, 11th. I'm sorry, July 11th. And the annual is August. So it is a month. Yeah, but it takes them a while to write that annual. They knew that annual was going to be there because Kirby's actually been off of Captain America for those three months, mm-hmm. which is probably when he was doing the annual. True. So let's assume that's the reason. That's interesting. I, I like that th- idea. I hope I haven't read the I've read the annual, but I haven't read the next like monthly issue. I'm hoping there's mm-hmm. some sort of scene where she's like, dude, you can't keep doing that to me. Right. But, but we'll see. Although, with this wrapping up the plot, the annual could fit very nicely between 67 and 68. It could. So maybe we'll just, having that known in 68, we'll we'll just deal with it then. Yeah. We're being very cagey, because if you haven't read, we yeah. don't want to spoil. That's kind you of a big spoiler. You probably guess, yeah. but you know. 
it's funny how we're, sometimes we're just like, so what's the entire history of Red Guardian? And then other times it's like, no, no, let's not talk about next issue. Well, I kind of feel like like what happens next is like yeah. prime spoiler territory. Totally, totally. What happens five, ten years from now, which is why I'm actually kind of amused I haven't said anything about Spider-Man's Professor Miles Ward. Mm-hmm. I have said he's a person, but I haven't said who he is. If we get to where that comes to be a thing, it's going to be like eight or nine years from now. So why am I even caging about it? <laughs> so next one. time it comes up in Spider-Man, I may just spill the beans on that, but I don't know. Mm. Um, but anyways, that's Fantastic Four. Well, speaking of annuals, let's not do Fantastic Four annual because we got a different one that's not even called an annual. It's called a king-size special. 49 pages, Mike. But it's basically an annual. They're all annuals, right? I mean – they're not, I guess. Let's see. They're just called the Avengers in the Indicia, so they're not even anything. They're more annual than DC's annuals were, which were six months apart. Yeah, and usually when you look up an index site, they file them under annuals. So it is what it is. But this is, because we haven't said it yet, King Size Special, the Avengers, number one. Dun, dun, dun. So the first time the original Avengers joined today's Avengers. What? I'm not going to read all this. Uh, and I'm going to skip the cool index page that talks about all the cool stuff because I'm just going to talk about it anyway. The monstrous master plan of the Mandarin. Doesn't that make you want to put this down? Okay, the good guys in alphabetical order. What else? Captain America, Goliath, Hawkeye, Hercules, Iron Man, Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch, Thor, and last but not least, the wonderful Wasp. The bad guys, also in alphabetical order. Natch, the Mandarin, the Enchantress, Executioner, Living Laser, Power Man, Swordsman. Note, sure, we know that old Mandy's name is out of order, but you think we're going to argue with a guy like him? Stanley lovingly lords it over a Roy Thomas Don Heck landmark of literary luminescence, inked by George Bell, lettered by Artie Semek. So this is a brand new annual story, as all the annual stories have been. We get Tony Stark, and he's at uh, a prison, and he's volunteering a cool gadget that he has, which, like, I guess zaps an entire hallway of prisoners if there's ever a riot. So it's a real quick way to knock them all out. Um, but while he's in there, uh, the Melter happens to be imprisoned there, and somehow somebody decided it was a good idea to let the Melter have access to things like they always do in these prisons. And one of the things he had got access to was a Tony Stark thing. And so guess what? He remade or made even better his Meltery Melter things. This is the Melter, right? Or is this a living laser? This is the living, living laser. laser. Sorry, guys. They're all kind of the Sorry. same. Yeah. Anyway. It didn't even occur to me either. I was like, <laughs> I, was just, I was just thinking, this has a lot like the last Melter story we read. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So scratch all that. Same thing, but living laser. And he puts on a wrist thing on his on his thing, and he lasers himself out. And there's a big e noise from the prison just as Tony Stark's leaving. So he's like, oh. And he goes around the corner, and he – Becomes Iron Man, and he takes on the living laser, and he kind of loses. He actually definitely loses because the living laser shoots a wall on him, and it crumbles on top of him. By the time he digs himself out, the living laser has disappeared. In fact, all the spectators are like, no, literally. He, like, disappeared. And Iron Man's like, whoa, what's that about? That's weird. So he flies away, and he's like, this is a little too weird for me to handle solo. So he reaches out, and he calls the Avengers. He says, I'm on my way. Meanwhile, we figure out how the living laser disappeared. He has a snazzy new outfit thanks to the guy who teleported him to his castle. And it is, you guessed it, the Mandarin. And while we weren't looking, he also teleported Swordsman, Executioner, Enchantress, and Power Man. That fun little quartet. Um, 
And then he summons Submariner, and he's like, you too will work for me. And Submariner's like, no, I won't. And so the Mandarin's like, fine, I'll kill you. And he kills the Submariner. But then in his thought balloons, it's like, oh, I didn't really. I just, it was a hologram, but I want them to be scared of me. So they're all scared of him. He's like, anyway, I'm going to take over the world with diamonds. I tried a big volcanic robot. Now I'm going to do diamonds. This is a giant diamond, but I need more giant diamonds. So we cut to Iron Man coming back to Avengers Mansion in what must be a really long time, maybe our book that we read. Um, And he's greeted by Jarvis, and it's like, this is cool. But then out of nowhere, this big giant Olympian god grabs him and says, how dare you attack Avengers Mansion? These guys are my friends. I'm going to beat you up. And Iron Man's about to die when Thor suddenly shows up, and he's like, no, guys, we're all friends here. And Hercules is like, oh, my bad. And Iron Man's like, oh, my bad, too. I should have read the briefing. And anyway, they all show up. So now we got, like it said on the cover, the old Avengers and the new Avengers. Thor is there because he wanted to warn everybody about the Executioner and Enchantress having turned up on Earth randomly. Iron Man's there because of the living laser. All the other Avengers are there because they're always avenging. And as they sit around, Nick Fury calls. He's like, guys, Asia, Africa, and South America are being mysteriously attacked. Can you do something about that? So Cap splits everybody up, just like that book we were just read. Um, and all these are individual chapters on that. So with Swordsman is in, I don't know where he's at. Is he in Asia? He's in one of those places. They start in South America. Okay, he's in South America. Um, and he's, oh, he and Power Man are in South America. And let's see, somehow they have like a magic sword that like hovers over the city and threatens to kill them all unless they hand over giant diamonds. At which point the wasp and Goliath show up and they get into a big fight with them. Um, Oh, Iron Man is also there and he uses his repulsors to hold the sword up so that it doesn't fall on the city. This is a really bonkers part. I don't understand. Um, And ultimately the Avengers win. And so Mandarin's like, and then we go to Asia and Mm -hmm. Hercules and Scarlet Witch, is that it? Hercules and Scarlet Witch take on the Executioner and the Enchantress, which is a really cool pairing because it's God versus God versus magic God versus human magic person. Um, and actually, they both are doing really well until the Enchantress creates like like Scarlet Witch's powers are way crazier than the Enchantress, and it freaks her out. But then she creates this monster that can only be killed by an Asgardian. And so <laughs> Hercules overhears that and goes, oh, I have an Asgardian knocked out right here because he just knocks out Executioner and he just tosses him into the monster and it <laughs> destroys it. And that's like the greatest thing in the entire world. Um, he killed him with an Asgardian. <laughs> yeah, I have an Asgardian. Here you go. Uh, part four, and a monster shall stalk the land. So this means we're in Africa now and it's the living laser with a spiffy new costume versus Thor and Hawkeye. And Thor's like, and Hawkeye's like, this is my bad guy. And Thor's like, okay, I'll let you have your little fun. So it's a really long, drawn-out fight because Thor's not participating. Um, but then in the end, he participates a little and they easily defeat the living laser. But somehow, um, there's also Ultimo. Remember that guy? The uh, giant robot that Mandarin created in a volcano? Well, there's a volcano in Africa or something. So he creates another one, I guess, and or the same one, and it awakens. And Thor beats it up. Because it's just a giant robot. Um, Meanwhile, Quicksilver and Cap stayed behind in case they needed to. I can't remember what happens now. 
Captain America and Quicksilver, um, they go oh, they, directly they to the They figure Mandarin. out where Mandarin is. Yeah, they figure out where Mandarin is. They hitch a in ride on space. a missile. He's in space. They hitch a ride on a missile, um, and they take him on, and he's kind of winning, but then all the rest of Avengers somehow magically show up, and... I don't remember. Like, does the diamond make them all fight each other? Oh, that's the whole thing. The whole plot is like this diamond weapon that he's creating is going to do like the Kingsman plot from the first movie and make everybody insane and punch each other. And then he's going to like rule the other half of the world that didn't die from the fighting. So all the Avengers start fighting each other. Uh, but I think Wasp, like, I don't know who does it. Boy, I really can't remember what happens. I'm trying to, I'm actually trying to page through and find it. Um, I think Quicksilver Somebody, stops it, but I don't know how he snaps out of the fighting thing. But he, like, punctures a hole in the spaceship, and it sucks the Mandarin out. Then they use the giant diamonds to plug the hole, and they fly home. The end. But, yeah, yeah for five weird. seconds, they all fight. There's, like, a big, giant splash page of them fighting. Oh, the Wasp does do something. She hits the Mandarin, which makes him hit the control panel. Because she was too tiny, and it didn't affect her or something like that. Oh. Huh. Oh, she says, I was darting towards our host, and that's all I recall. So when he took over their brains, Wasp was already on a trajectory to hit him or something. And so she just kept going, and she hit him. Okay, uh, so his crumpling body must have turned the hate ray off. Yes. So whenever they realize they're not fighting more, they look over and see the Mandarin, Yeah. Um, I guess, still in the process of falling down after hurting off the hate ray. Okay, so yeah. the Wasp did save the day. She would have her presence of mind to do it. Even though if you think about it, like, why wouldn't they attack the Mandarin, too, if they just want to punch everybody, right? But anyway. Right. Um, yeah, so then they fly home and everybody's happy and they say, you know, every once in a while we ought to, like, maybe annually all get together like this and do this again. And then Cap and Scarlet Witch make goo eyes at each other. And it's the end. They do kind of goo eyes each other, don't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, big punch fest. Yeah. It reminded me a lot of that book, oddly. Maybe because of all the splitting up. And the different countries, the different locales. Uh-huh. And uh, Iron Man was back. Iron and Man Iron sort of Man starts being the back. story. Yes, exactly. And we have not heard the name Don Heck in a little while. No. His last Avengers issue was issue 40, and he's about to have a short run on the X-Men because Werner Roth is going to quit that book. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's what Don Heck is doing. <laughs> you know, I remember when Don Heck first took over the Avengers before they were the Kooky Quartet, and I remember having trouble understanding the story sometimes because mm. of how he drew things like here we are at the end like i'm trying to remember what the heck happened and really that whole wasp thing is so oddly illustrated that you can't really tell what's going on right and it's and the like fact that the mandarin falling is shown after they snap out of there yeah right it's almost like it's almost like in that first panel of page 46 that they shouldn't be snapped out yet because no. thor's face is still all kinds of contorted right and, like, there's no glory shot of, like, the Wasp hitting him or anything. I don't know. It's just a weird way of storytelling it. And, and here we are with him doing that again. And I don't know if it's because of an annual and he had a lot of pages to draw or if it's because once Thor and Iron Man are involved, he just doesn't draw Avengers as well somehow. Like, he was much better with just the quartet, I thought. Well, I was thinking how this must be the year for bad guy teams because we <sighs> had the Daredevil versus the Emissaries of Evil. We had yeah. Sergeant – was it Sergeant Fury? No, it was – um. There was some other team of bad guys in a recent annual. I forget what. Well, probably that you've read ahead because the, I think the next multiple annuals we're covering are basically this plot. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic Four and Amazing Spider-Man also. I guess it was Daredevil in this one. Those are the two that made me think. But yeah, I have read ahead to this Fantastic Four and Spider-Man because yeah. we're recording that episode tomorrow. Right. Um, it has been a while since we saw Enchantress and Executioner together. She's been doing her own thing. 
She has. And she's in love with Hercules. And by the way, and here she does make mention of that again. So that's still mm-hmm. a thing for her. Still a thing. Most of Executioner's appearances involve the Enchantress, but she does a lot more without him. Which makes which you wonder what he's doing. Are, see, are they still banished on Earth? And if they are, why is Thor showing up at Avengers going like, oh my gosh, they're on Earth? Like, Do they get banished are. to Earth? I thought they did, but I don't remember. Like in their very second story, right? When they first came yeah. down to the Avengers? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I guess that's worked that's itself how, out. That's how Zemo recruited them because they were stuck and had nothing else to do. Also, side note, you know how we saw the Executioner in the Hulk future? He went to the future and saw the Executioner there? Mm-hmm. I read somewhere that that's actually uh, been explained as him getting banished to the future for a short while. Oh. So, like, you know how randomly in some issues Thor just, like, puts them in a vortex and sends them off in time and space? Sure. I'm guessing something like that happened. And Executioner just ended up in the far future and then came back later. Because I think that's <sighs> how they explain how that can exist whenever Executioner, you know, dies. <laughs> in the die? 1980s. Oh, yeah. yeah. In the 1980s, he dies. Uh, in, the, in the Simonson run. Well, they could easily bring him back to life, seeing as he's a god and all. Or he's not really a god. I don't know what he is. Anyway. I think he's a god, but with with uh, with the gods, with even the if you G. die, you continue to exist. You just are confined to uh, mm-hmm. the realm of the dead. Yeah. Um, I do like Tony Stark and his non-lethal, pain-free prisoner control. I do, too. I always like when you see uh, superhero technology affecting regular stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that's cool, the idea that, of course... Tony and Reed Richards' inventions would affect real world in some way or another. So that's neat. Would Iron Man's black light cancel the other guy's lasers? Because it like turns off light, right? Which is mm-hmm. what lasers are. Oh, gosh. I forgot he did that. Yeah. I feel like that would be a pretty effective weapon, but he hasn't quite managed to make it work. Uh-huh. I don't really know what black light is. Is that just a made-up thing? Yeah. I mean, black light in reality is a, is a uh, is all not light. super accurate name for um, lower spectrum light okay but it's actually visible um and it makes you know things glow but i think this idea is that it's projecting a shadow right shadow lasts from the legion of superheroes it can project blackness or if it really is black it's like the absence of light so does that just suck light away or something i don't know know yeah i guess it's a really weird weapon it doesn't you can't really Mm -hmm. shoot out a shadow no (laughs) it didn't work anyway but I like Living Laser's new outfit. I can't remember what his old outfit looked like, but I don't think it looked like that. No, I don't think it did either. I do like the new outfit. It's not completely unlike Wonder Man's outfit, but it looks yeah, much better on him. that's true. I forgot about it. Well, it doesn't have a giant W on it. No. But otherwise. It has the red jaggy thing. Yeah. It's a better design. It's a better villain outfit, I think, and Wonder Man just, I don't know. I don't like that Wonder Man outfit from the issue nine. I kind of wish this was the actual namer and not just a hologram psych job <laughs> like it would have been fun if namer's just like get out of here i'm not a villain anymore i wrote a lot of things down as i was reading this and i'm just trying to figure out how much i actually want to bring up um iron man refers to the avengers as cap and his cronies mm-hmm. so a little bit of distance there and then they're like since cap has served in both the old and the new team he should be chairman right which ends, which ends up being like his job all the time i would think anytime he's all on the, the team time. I'm starting to wonder if our perception of supervillains isn't colored by the hero's perception of them. Like, yeah, Mandarin. If you've mm-hmm. never read a Mandarin story before and you mm-hmm. picked up this issue, mm-hmm. you would be convinced he's a big deal threat. Yes. Everybody is talking about how he's a big deal threat. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, and I know that the stories have mostly fallen a bit flat, but mm-hmm. Iron Man shows concern, which I think helps to counter that. Mm-hmm. Well, he certainly has a lot of resources. 
for a bad guy. He does. He's got his own. He's like very Dr. Doomy that way. He's got his own city or whatever it is. So many resources, in fact, that this um, Chinese individual based in China, in his whose nickname is The Mandarin, has an English letter M for his <laughs> chest insignia. Oh, my God. I never thought about that before. <laughs> Oh, my God. Well, he's like, well, I'm going to fight a lot of Americans, so they need to know. I guess they need to know. Yeah. Um, Nick Nick Fury, guest stars. He does. He shows up. He says, hi, y'all. I find it interesting that he's like, this is above our pay grade, though. Like, Or no, he says they can't go there because it's not America. Because S.H.I.E.L.D. is an American task force, and they're not – this is an international concern. Does that mean that the Avengers are international? Well, that that leaves two questions to me. Does that mean Shield never does anything outside the U.S.? Because we've already seen that's not true. We're in the middle of a Shield story right now <laughs> that right. is outside the U.S. Right. Um, and then, yeah, that as always makes me question how much a superhero can do or not do on a team. I mean, the Avengers are more official a team than most teams, but like, can they just go anywhere and do whatever they want? Or oh my gosh, it's Avengers three all over again. Right. Um, Wanda says, but what have we to do with shield? And I was like, Oh, Wanda, the ways the answer to that question will change in the future. Yeah. Right. I did love when Hank Pym meets the old Avengers and they call him giant man. Uh huh. <laughs> it's like, they got the name wrong. Cause they just haven't been around. Yeah. It's Although funny. Iron Man should know. Cause he was in the book. Iron Man, Thor, Wasp and Goliath have not hung out. Yeah. In the comics, they haven't hung out. Kind of interesting. I did identify the likely locations that we go to. Okay. So in South America, uh, we are probably in Venezuela, which uh, they talk about how it was um, one of the more progressive countries in South America. It had been democratic since 1958, Mm -hmm. and it has uh, continues to be a site of diamond mining and smuggling Uh, over the decades. Okay. And the capital city of Caracas was heavily urbanized and modernized during the 1950s. And they are very proud of their new city, their new capital city in this story. So I'm thinking that's where we are, Venezuela. Okay. I believe you. Um, then the African country I'm thinking is South Africa. Okay. They have diamonds. They have a parliament. They have a large white portion of the population. Um Sadly, the black majority population would lose their vote in parliament elections a little bit after this. Mm-hmm. Only the white minority would be allowed and only whites would be able to hold office all the way until 1984. South okay. Africa is not a good place for racial equality. And uh, in Asia, the subcontinent, I thought I wrote it down. It's probably India. Okay. I really thought I wrote that down somewhere. Um because they do say the subcontinent. Yeah, here we go. Nope. But I, I forgot to write down my notes of why I thought it was India. It does say subcontinent. Usually we think of the Asian subcontinent. We think of like India and Pakistan, everything, you know, below below China, South, Southwestern Asia. Mm. But anyways, that's where I think we are for those three countries. Um, they can't say the actual countries, I guess, because no. are they, they're reluctant to say the actual country names. They sure are reluctant all the time when it comes to all this stuff. Oh, here it is. I just got out of order. Yeah, uh, probably in a version of India, if only for a couple of pages. Uh, Africa was South Africa was the last place they went. Well, I would say, speaking of, uh, where are we in this one? South America. That was my least favorite chapter. 
I don't know. That big wonking sword was really stupid, and I didn't understand it. Yeah, where did it come from? <laughs> Why was it there? Right. It gave us a really cool Iron Man pinup. Yes. But even that's a little bit weird because his face is at a weird angle. And he's dealing with a sword that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Right. Uh, in my and- kingdom for the days when the wasp is reckoned as a threat in her own right and not just as a harbinger for Goliath. Right. Yeah. She does quite a few things here, but then it's always just like Goliath gets the glory somehow anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, Asia was by far my favorite. I really liked the square off. I think it was a great pairing. You know, Hawkeye or Hawkeye. Hercules versus Executioner is awesome. And then, of course, Scarlet Witch versus the Enchantress is great. Right. Um and then the solution was hilarious. So the whole thing was just like a really great chapter, I thought. That was a great chapter. Probably my highlight of the story, too. Also in this chapter, mm-hmm. Scarlet Witch describes her powers as uncanny control of the laws of probability. Uh-huh. Is that the Which first time she's done that? I think so. I don't think we've had it as probability-altering powers as a description of what she does before this. I like the caption was, to tell the truth, we sometimes get a bit confused about that, them ourselves. I'll believe and, that. <laughs> it's like, you know what? That's not going to go away because <laughs> everybody's confused. Uh, I like the Age of Ultron description. She's weird. That's it. Yeah. That's all you need. She's weird. It She's works weird. for me. What uh, I like about the living laser fight is that uh-huh. Hawkeye is not enough to stop the living laser. So he gets Thor's help yeah. and it goes well. But also the living laser is like well below Thor's pay grade. Mm-hmm. So to have that lead to the ultimate reveal, I thought was a pretty great transition. It is cool. But I did wonder like, is this the same Ultimo? Is this a different Ultimo? Is there like 28 Ultimos and 28 volcanoes? Or like, how does this work? We're not anywhere near the same location as the previous Ultimos. So no. I don't know. No. Does he just travel from volcano to volcano or something? Is there a volcano subway? Well, there could be with the Mole Man involved, but I don't know. Oh, that's true. That's true. But the caption reads that it's like the same guy from 76 to 78, Tales of Suspense. So it's like, is it or is it just the same concept? Or, But on the other hand, aside from that nitpickery, it was fun to see someone besides Iron Man fight Ultimo, in this case Thor, which was pretty great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it was cool. I, I don't know. The thing is, like, these annuals, I'm trying to think of them as, like, something to experience like back in the day like was it really cool to see all the avengers get back together and fight their who's who as a villains same with the fantastic four and uh you know daredevil and all that stuff like is that cool or is that just like ho-hum let me get back to the monthly i think even when i was a kid and collecting i never loved annuals like they were just a kind of a drag uh yeah we, we talked about the the pros and cons of them before but um it's just it's a special story and how special it comes off kind of varies like I'm hot and cold on Spider-Man annuals in mm. alternates, uh, like the Star Trek movies. Like, I really like 1, 3, and 5. Not so hot on 2 and 4. Um, Fantastic 4 annuals. You like one- Star Trek 1, 3, and 5? No, no, no. It alternates like uh. the Star Trek movies. But for Spider-Man annuals, I like oh, Spider-Man annual 1, like, 3, and 5. You are flying in the face of every other person in the universe. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I do really like Star Trek, the motion picture, and Star oh, Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Yeah, I'm too. not too keen on Star Trek Fathom, Final Frontier, but I really like the novelization of that one. Oh, that'd be interesting. Yeah, the novel actually takes a iffy idea and turns it into a pretty decent sci-fi story. I guess the question is, have they ever, in the history of annuals, done a story that had consequences in the annual? Or is it just like a thing to get through? 
You yes, know what I mean? they end up doing stories with consequences and annuals, and sometimes the annuals even feed into the monthly. Okay, well that would be cooler. And in the seventies, they do the um, they do quarterly giant size issues, mm. and for Avengers, the plot just goes back and forth. You get your monthly, monthly, monthly giant size, monthly, monthly, monthly giant, and it's just you have to read all of it to get the plot. Wow. Um, well, there you go. Yep. They do hint at the end of this that they're going to do more team-ups of the entire team together, mm-hmm. almost like maybe an annual event, mm-hmm. which sort of reminds me of another annual team-up event happening at another company every year. Oh, really? With- you know, the J- Justice League, Justice Society team-ups? Okay. It is kind of interesting that right now we're at a stage in Avengers where there's just been two teams. Yeah. And, and they <laughs> And they like – they can team up together and it's an interesting thing. Like at this point, obviously this does not work anymore. <laughs> um, should we go on to what briefly talk about what else is in the story? Well, the cool thing oh, about annuals book. is there's uh pinups galore, which are neat. So there's an awesome Hercules pinup. Mm-hmm. There is a great, uh, more than meets the eye. Like one of those, uh, what do you call them? Like blueprint kind of things, the cutaway things of like how the Avengers mansion and all the, like the mansion parts on top that we used to see back in the day. And then they show all the stuff underneath that we apparently live in now all the time with the new team, mm-hmm. um, the tech stuff. So that was cool. Then there's a great pinup of black widow, wasp and scarlet, Witch. so it's like the ladies pinup. Um, and then lastly, there's a the original Avengers and the new Avengers. So the original Avengers are like floating in a cloud as the new Avengers walk towards us mightily. And that was kind of neat too. I would like a poster of this without the caption boxes. I know, right? There's it's too bad like digital comics don't offer the ability to click a button and like the caption boxes go away. It just goes away. But unfortunately, I, I believe the original art would probably was, you know, back in the day, all the letters were drawn on the art. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. can't just make it disappear, I guess. I did look up when we are going to see all these people again. So quick rundown. Enchantress and Executioner are going to come back in Incredible Hulk 102, which is only like six months away because we're about to talk about Astonish 96. Uh, Living Laser and Swordsman shortly after in Captain America 105. Mandarin also shortly after Incredible Hulk 107. Then a gap. Power Man comes back in Avengers 78. And we don't see Ultimo again until Iron Man 69, which is a good long time from now. Oh, Power Man and Swordsman become Batrix first. Uh, what do you call those guys? I'm being a bad cat fan right now. But he always has his group. His Batrix, minions? His Batrix. Uh, oh, my God. It's going to drive me crazy. They don't even call it anything on this. On this uh I'm pretty sure his teams always have a name, and they're interchangeable. But yeah. Anyway, I guess we'll get to it and find out. Batrox Blitzkrieg Squad. <laughs> Something like that, probably. <laughs> Batrix okay. Brigade. Batrix Brigade. Yay, I can sleep tonight. Okay. Dun, dun, dun. So they make up his first uh, trio. Alrighty. Shall we astonish? Oh, if we must, yes. Tales to Astonish 96, featuring the pounding power of Prince Namor. Somewhere stands Skull Island. Okay, so Namor is back home on his throne. He's like, remember how we were talking about going to war with the humans? Let's bring that up again. (laughs) And Dorma's like, I don't think we should go to war. And he's like, "Uh, did you forget how much bad stuff's been going on lately? Like with the plunderer? 
There's not much left for us to say, True Believer, except maybe let's dive in already. Oh, and one other thing, Imperius Rex. Seaworthy Stan Lee presents a Raymond Murray, Bill Everett, masterwork of marine magnificence, inked by Vince Coletta, lettered by Artie Simic, crown jewels insured by Forbush of the Bronx. Hmm. So Namor and Dorma and Vashti argue over the merits of going to war with the humans. He's like, okay, fine. Um, I don't want to make you feel bad. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I'm going to go and um, attack the plunderer because I think that, um, oh, he also says he's going to go to visit the ruins of the first Atlantis mm. because that's where he's going to find the savage land and the plunderer. I forget exactly why he wants to go see the plunderer, maybe just to get revenge for last issue. Anyway, so he starts flying away, swing away. Now, remember the uh, original Atlantis was in the South Pole vicinity. So he flies, he sees the penguins, he goes underwater, fights some sea dragons, looks at the ruins of Atlantis. Oh, my memories. Oh, look, here is where my mother, Princess Fen, was buried. And while he stands there at her gravestone, we get a... Um, flashback of his mom talking to him as a little boy. And then all of Atlantis was devastated by a series of explosions. And as a result of that, his people were scattered. And that's what gave him his years of amnesia, which we have not known all this time. And finally, no. So yay. Wow. So then he's like, okay, enough of nostalgia. I'm going to (laughs) go swim over and find Skull Island and attack the plunderer. He's like, um, I knew when he said Skull Island, it must be that same Skull Island I played at as a child. So this is a Skull Island that is in the Savage Land vicinity. He doesn't know what scheme the plunderer is planning there, but he knows he's not going to let it succeed. The plunderer, meanwhile, has a giant cannon And as Namor is flying close, one of those giant uh, sea dragons finds him, starts to attack him. Plunder is going to shoot the cannon, um, but he's like, oh, he's fighting a sea dragon, so he's not going to attack him. Uh, Namor fights a sea dragon, sticks some metal in his mouth, uh, dodges his attacks, whatever. Dorma is like, okay. I'm really concerned about why my beloved might be going to see the plunderer. So I'm going to follow him. And she is approaching the area as well. Plunderer sees him on his monitor screen, shoots a thing, which knocks out Dorma. Then he speaks on his microphone. Hey, Namor, my electron beam is strong enough to stop a whale. It better stop you too. And he's like, nope, I'm here and we're going to fight. He's like, no, don't fight me. I have your lady friend lying helpless in the sea behind you. (gasps) What do you say? Dorma in danger? How's that possible? She didn't come down. I came down alone. And Plunder's like, no, no, no. I got her. She's knocked out the day in the water. Namor goes and says, hey, Dorma, you're here. And and the guy I'm trying to fight targeted you. By disobeying me, you've, you've put yourself in some pretty grave danger. She's like, I just wanted to stand beside you. He's like, no disobeying is not very becoming get out of here but my prince leave go back to atlantis if you're not hurt and she's like i think there's something wrong going on here what is he trying to hide from me so namor jumps out of the water plunderer blasts him again and this time it takes him down and um Let's see. Plunder is going to talk to Namor. Oh, yeah. He has Namor imprisoned in these rings. 
Dormud goes back to Atlantis and is like, I'm going to talk to Vashti. We're going to use our monitors to see what happens with Namor. On the monitor screen, she sees Namor talking to Plunderer, but I guess she does not notice the big rings holding him in place, like on Superman the movie. Um, and she thinks that Namor has gone to Plunderer to team up with him against the human race. And that's oh, why no. she's concerned. Next, so issue. next issue, escape. Next issue, Submariner versus Dorma. Dun, dun, dun. I think that that uh, conflict has been lying dormant for way too long. Oh. Oh. I got a question. Yeah. How do you bury someone underwater? Um, you just lay them there and I scoop the schlooge on them. Because <laughs> evidently there is a really thick layer of sludge on the bottom of the ocean floor that is made up of decayed bodies, poop, and all sorts of other things. And it's like, yeah, that's the first layer of ground on the ocean floor. And it would just, okay. No, no, I, I'm just making up ground. I don't know. I'm not, obviously, the sludge is there, but I don't know how you would bury someone on the ground. Yeah, it's like they don't even try and come up with different ideas for this Atlantis thing, do they? No, it's just, I mean, how do you build How do you build buildings down there? I don't know. How do the Atlanteans deal with dead bodies? Well, they bury them just like we do up here. Uh, Okay. I do have to give them credit because with all the little tangents we've had along the way, I'd seriously thought that maybe they'd just forgotten that Namor wanted to go to war with the surface world. But Mm -hmm. it turns out it was all just building fodder for him. He's still on that kick, starting with the plunderer. He's going to take us down one at a time. Yep. And Dorma's new role in life is to tag along behind him without him knowing. Because she did that last story, too. Yeah. Yeah. She wants to be helpful. I like Uh, her agency. But then the story shuts her down. Yeah, because the thing is, she actually is smarter than him. Mm -hmm. Clearly. (laughs) He needs to listen to her a lot more He needs to listen to her a lot more. But then, like, yeah, the story's always just like, no, don't listen to her. (laughs) So I believe you said this is a Bill Everett-drawn story. Yes. There's some very golden age Namor in this. Uh Uh-huh. Like page two, when he, especially like the third panel, when he's standing there, I was like, oh my gosh, that could Mm. be an issue of Marvel Comics. Yeah. His head's just a little more proportional than it used to be, but. Well, yeah. Later golden age, his head is almost like an equilateral triangle. (laughs) It's really bad, but Bill Everett wasn't drawing that, I'm pretty sure. No, but I think even like the one issue we read for the show, like his head was significantly larger than it is portrayed these days but mm-hmm. um, and we get a flashback that's my favorite part of the story was yeah i had not expected to catch feels from a namor comic and we got the grave we got the flashback we got lore so but they don't say what year which is probably a good thing don't nail that down i guess but that right. makes me wonder how long past the war did this bombing thing happen? Or was it at the end of the war that this bombing thing happened? How long was he an, an, an amnesiac? And how long do they say he was an amnesiac like in today's comics? Like five minutes, two mm. decades, 20 years, 40 years, 80 years? Like right now, if Namor to remember, if Namor were to talk about his history, mm-hmm. what kind of timeline would he give it? That's a really yeah. good question. I don't really know the answer, but now the fifties Namor stories pretended to be a continuation of the golden age Namor stories. Oh, the sixties Namor stories did not. They're the but, ones who made the, but did they, happen. did they contradict the fifties stories at all? Or could this have happened after, could this bombing have taken place in 1961 or, I mean, or 57 or something like that? Or he was an amnesiac for like a month or a year. 
or a couple of years. I believe it. If um, if we were doing some sort of like you know bomb testing in the fifties, which I'm sure we were. Oh yeah, uh, that could mess up there at Antarctica. Yeah, they don't say what ca- what uh, caused the bombing. So we, I don't know if that's something that's revealed someday, or if it's just like a blame it on the surface dwellers thing that they're gonna not ever care about again. But uh, yeah, just a uh, just a quick search. Antarctic ice sheets are still leaking radioactive chlorine from 1950s nuclear weapons tests. Hey, there you so go. So we did test bombs in the 1950s. It looks like 60s too. So yeah, that's what it was. Cool. I'm just that. curious if modern stories like ever refer- reference this period. And if they do, do they make it like decades and decades of him being lost or – I Indeed. think it would work because isn't Namor really like a hundred years old or something? Even in these early stories, mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, yeah, he could be lost for a long time. They're super long lived. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I didn't like the ending with Dorma at all. I'm thinking about eleven page, uh, page eleven, panel three. What happens at page eleven, panel three? Page oh, eleven, yeah. Whatever Namor's just like a skadoosh. Yeah. I do like the questions it plants in Dorma's brain. I like that little twist of the plot from her perspective. I just mm. don't like him being so man about it. Yeah, like maybe he's annoyed that he had the plunder dead to rights and then he had to stop and go see if oh, she was okay. And he doesn't handle his feelings. Well and he's just like, dude, you wrecked everything. I don't need you here. I was fine. Too bad he didn't punch the plunder a little harder on page uh, 10 and just like snap his head off or something. Then he didn't have to worry about it anymore. But... He's certainly crazy. I'd enough do it on page ten there. Yeah, I don't. I don't think Namor so far, unlike Thor and everybody else, has like said anything about being dedicated to not hurting people. No, no. So I don't see why Namor wouldn't just drive his fist through Plunderer's midsection and be done with it. But it's comics, so we can't do that. Well, speaking of comics, shall we move on? Yeah, let's move on. There's more story, huh? I forgot. There's an Incredible Hulk story. I'm going to sneeze here in a minute, but in the meantime, there's a kind of a whole story. Picture yourself upon the distant planet, Wondagore 2. So awesome, it named itself twice. <laughs> Ruled by the mysterious High Evolutionary. Got, got it? it? Get it, get it, got it, got it, good. Now picture the Hulk taken to this savage world and transformed into the identity of Bruce Banner once again. Then, as he helplessly awaits his fate at the hands of the seemingly mad High Evolutionary, everything seems to happen at once. Brought to you by our gregarious group of goofy, green-skinned gremlins, Stan the Man Lee, the brighter writer, Marie the She Chevron, the smartest artist, Herb Trimpey, the distincter inkter, Al Kurzrock, the betterer letterer, and Honest Irving, the bony phony. Okay. And now, welcome to the wondrous world of Marvel mythologia. All right. So High Evolutionary has trapped Bruce Banner in like this energy beam because he's going to do evolution to him. But then, whenever his new men who have all, you know, rebelled, start attacking, he's like, why won't you turn into the Hulk? I don't understand. Um, I guess I forgot that I gave you a drug last issue that kept you from turning into the Hulk. But man, I really wish you would and save me. Because the whole reason for this story was for me to get the Hulk over here to help me. And um, so, yeah. So the new men attack the High Evolutionary. They beat him down until they don't anymore. He pushes a button that makes them all go away. High Evolutionary opens up Bruce Banner from the beam thing and then starts attacking the new men with a mace. One of the new men comes after Bruce Banner, picks him up overhead. He's like, I'm going to throw you. Oh, wait, you're getting heavy. And looking up, it's not Bruce Banner overhead anymore. It's the Hulk. 
and the Hulk um, jumps down from the guy's arms and starts fighting new men left, right, and center, throwing animal face people all over themselves. Heilisher's like, whew, he's finally the Hulk again. I've been wounded too severely. There's no more hope. The high evolutionary is dying. But maybe if I take off my mask and show that I'm just a dude and I put myself under the evolutionary ray, I've never done this on a human subject. I was totally going to do that to Bruce Banner, but I seem to have forgotten that now. And I lay there and I'm going to turn myself into what I will be like a million years from now. And he walks out and um, he's got like the really long fingers and the big head. And no, that's Superman. I'm sorry. Superman of the future was that one. But, um, High Evolutionary turns into the great and powerful Oz. Mm-hmm. He is ahead. I am the ultimate. I'm the beginning of the end of human evolution. Um, I have really big eyes and I am kind of scared looking, but I'm going to go be one with the eternal cosmos. First, I'm going to undo all of the evolutionary things the High Evolutionary ever did. All of you new men are going to turn back into regular animals. And Hulk is like, yeah, but but whenever I said I wanted to be alone in space... I didn't mean actually be alone in space. There's no one here, just Aminals now. And High Evolution's like, fine, send you home. He's like, oh, now I'm home. How will I ever get to be alone in space? Next issue, The Living Lightning. My favorite kind of story is the one where at the very end they undo everything and it never happened. Because I love (laughs) wasting my time. Yeah. 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 So this began where, or this ended where it began. And he has no memory of any of this happening. So it's like, what is the point of this? We could have skipped these two, I guess. Oh, did he lose his memory too? He says, at last, as it was, let all be as though the high evolutionary had never existed. Can the Hulk never reach the stars? Isn't that where we started? Like he's just. Oh, you're right. Okay. I didn't quite put that together. I figured, okay. That's how we kicked this off. Can the Hulk never reach Mm -hmm. the stars? I don't know. Yeah. So, and he did totally get what he wanted. He didn't want humans around. They suck. They try and kill him all the time. Right. So he had a whole planet all to himself with cute animals that he could be nice to. He would rather be wishing he were alone than actually alone. Mm. He's a very complicated fellow, this Hulk. Mm-hmm. Um, I did like the um, the Hulk bit where Bruce Banner turned into the Hulk on the that end was, of page four going into page five. That was great. I hope I hope we get more of these like clever transformations as they get yeah. bored with him transforming. Yeah. That was fun. Um, and yeah, the, the plot shenanigans and forgetting where we were last issue annoyed me a little bit. Um, of course, doing the whole evolutionary thing to Bruce Banner didn't make sense at the end of last issue. The way it was told in the process of telling it was that he sent, um, the, the goat man, what was his name? Uh, yeah. Sir Ram, Sir Ram. Uh, Sir Ram's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. To go find more, uh, specimens. And then the Hulk gets on the ship, and so I was like, oh, this will be a really cool specimen. I'm going to take him back to um, to the planet. And High Evolutionary is excited to have the Hulk because he has this war to fight. When Bruce Banner lands there, he's like, oh, well, since you're not the Hulk, I'm going to stop you from turning into the Hulk and do evolution on you. Right. Which seems to go contrary to what he wanted to do in the first place. Now it seems like we're back to the original mission statement. It just it didn't quite flow. And then even in this one, he waffles back and forth between, gosh, I really wanted to advance Bruce a billion years to, gosh, why don't you change to the Hulk when I need you? Mm-hmm. So it's like, which is it? Which do you want? And then he changes himself a million years in the future, which totally makes me go, wait a second. 
Because I know the next High Evolutionary story, and he's back in his pink armor by then. Well, that's what I was wondering, because the only High Evolutionary story I know of is that, that story arc, the Evolutionary War or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, and he doesn't look like this and that. I think that story helps to flesh out what happens between, because I think they fill in a retcon to tell what happens between this issue and his next story. Mm. Um, but in this story, when he says, make it like the evolutionary never existed, does that mean that the super beast from the previous high evolutionary story should be gone? The, the man beast who's going to go and be evil in the Adam Warlock story. I don't know. Mm. Um, and the next time we see the high evolutionary it is the beginning of the Adam Warlock story. In Marvel premiere number one, and it's like he's in his human body like nothing ever happened. So I don't know what's going to happen to explain all that. Sounds like nothing, but uh, I guess Very possibly. Yeah. How weird. Very weird. It was cool. I mean, for a two-parter, it was all right. It was good. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I thought it was really pretty. Yeah. Yeah. She's pretty good. She's good at the drawing. Marie, the she, Severin. We have so few women, we can call one just the woman, and that will identify her. (laughs) Marie the she. Yeah. <laughs> but um, Okay. Should we go on to the next one? How many have we done so far? This is going to be four. Oh, gosh. I guess we definitely have to go on to the next one then. Mm-hmm. The X-Men number 36, Makano Lives. Wait, do we have to go to the next one? We could just do three. Uh, we, could, we could breeze through this one. Okay. Makano Lives. To the two would-be burglars, it looks like just another darkened house waiting to be looted, yet no pair of petty thugs has ever been more drastically mistaken, as you might have already noticed. And I'll explain that in a second. Stanley punctiliously presents a Roy Thomas, Ross Andrew. Ross Andrew? Ross Andrew! Panorama of pandemonium-packed panel. I guess I don't read credits when I'm doing my homework. Anyway, inked by George Bell, lettered by Sam Rosen. So, yeah, two dudes are breaking into the X-Mansion. And Beast beats them up. And while he's doing that, everyone else is upstairs. And they're like, yeah, Beast can handle this. Um, I can't remember if he doesn't handle it. He does handle it. He handles it just fine. And they mind wipe the dudes. So that's really creepy. Uh, what else happens? They, they they don't have any way to get to the professor. So spend but they time figured looking. out where he is. Right. Okay. So then they need a job. And so Warren tries to go to the bank and they're like, nah, for some reason, even though he's rich, uh, they try and get a job at a construction site. Um, what's the problem with that? It seemed to work. It all works out until they find out they're not union. Oh yeah. They're not union. So they can't get paid. Uh, Iceman and the beast put on a show. Um, and while that's happening though, this guy named Meccano comes out and he's like, you're the first to see me and I'm going to demolish the new Memorial library. And so he takes on the X-Men. He takes out Iceman immediately, who I don't think is in the rest of this issue. Um, oh, no, the police take out Iceman because they're like, oh, you're a mutant or something. He's like, no, Me- help me. Hmm? Mechano claims that Iceman and Beast are working with him. And so the police are like, oh, oh yeah, stop them. That's right. But they would have arrested him anyway because um, hmm. they get in a fight. I don't remember what happens. Oh, the police try to arrest like – Marvel Girl and Cyclops, so she just has none of it. And she tosses them and takes their guns. Angel and Cyclops go after whatever his name is, Mechano or whatever. He's like a dude with like uh, 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 robotic things on him. It's so kind of like the Captain. Yeah, it's the Captain Jupiter suit. It like it like enhances him. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what the word is for that. But anyway, exosuit or something. So uh, yeah, um, yeah, they get in a big fight, and then um, his dad shows up. He loses. The dad shows up. What's his big problem? 
He never thought his dad appreciated him. <laughs> Man, I really have no. No, it's okay. Issue. It's okay. It's yeah, okay. His dad is a big uh, philanthropist, a, right? And so he wanted to do the opposite of philanthropy or something because he he thinks his dad doesn't love him. His dad's like, no, actually, that's not true. Anyway, let's arrest you. And by the way, let's give the X Men a lot of money. And then the X Men get on a plane and they're on their way to fight the uh, the Factor Three. And we finally get a real shot of a weird helmet. Because mm-hmm. the guy's watching them from the view screen, this mysterious guy that's been watching them. We get a shot of him for the first time, kind of the back of his head anyway. And it's a really weird bonkers helmet and he's watching them board the airplane. The end. Next issue. Disaster. Okay. So yeah, the whole thing was about fighting this dude and then making money from it because the dude's dad turned out to be rich. There you go. Yeah. There's your summary. Meccano. I really liked most of the stuff in this that didn't have anything to do with Meccano or Meccano or whatever his name is. Oh, yeah, I can know. That probably sounds better. Yeah. I, I kind of dug the whole, like, we've got to find some money, so let's try to get a job. And we can't – that was very Peter Parker to me. It reminded me – remember that FF where uh, Reed Richards bankrupt everybody? Yes. And then he had to go find work or whatever? It reminded me of that, kind of. Right. Uh, we should probably talk about Ross Andrew. Um, oh, yeah. That's pretty awesome. Crazy. He He's no stranger to Marvel. But it's been 10 years since he did anything regularly for them. Mm. He's been doing a lot of Wonder Woman and Metal Men for DC. He's a pretty iconic Silver Age artist for both of those books. Um, he's going to become bigger with Marvel superheroes later. For now, we're going we're gonna to see him on three books. And then he's going to go away again for a few years. So this is the first of those three. He basically becomes like a John Romita at some point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he's, uh, he has a, a pretty impressive run on Spider-Man that does not get enough attention. And uh, Werner Roth has been doing this book, but he's he's not saying goodbye to the book. He's going to go to Submariner for a couple months. And then he's going back on here to do a backup stories strip in this book. I feel like Ross Andrew also did his fair share of like Jose Luis Garcia Lopez aping for DC or something, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Because he like- has... I had, like, Superman I had like a Superman power records that I'm pretty sure he drew. That was pretty mm. awesome looking. He's really good. I like but, him. I like but him. But he kind of looks like other people. So in a way, like he's good, but it's at the same time, it's like, or you could just have the original person that he's looking mm-hmm. like. It's kind of interesting. This whole beginning uh, was like, this is kind of maybe what was throwing me off with the summaries. I forgot, like, nothing really happens with this beginning. It's just a thing that happens. It doesn't yeah. tie into anything else. It's it really almost feels weird. like padding. It's really weird. And it's like, these burglars break in, they get beat up by Hank, and then they, uh, questioningly, uh, morally wise, uh, wipe their brain and then have them, like zombies, report themselves to the police. And then, like, that's it. And that's did it. you even oh. know that Cerebro could do this? No, and I don't know that it's a good thing either. No. Well, you know, they're, they've learned from the best. True. Totally. Xavier, Xavier has do definitely done this before. We've You're seen right. him do it multiple times. Mm-hmm. Spider Man's still looking for that. Lost five minutes from Secret Wars. <laughs> we get a nice reminder during the fight that Marvel Girl has been, not the fight, but the um, this construction stuff. Marvel Girl's <laughs> been getting more powerful over the years. Yes. She's now lifting multiple steel beams to show off. Where before, mm-hmm. they said something like before, she could barely hold her own weight. And we saw that on the pages. Like They, they told her, don't try to lift more than your own weight. Mm-hmm. Or don't try to lift more than you can lift physically or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so okay. why, why did Warren get rejected? I missed it. I thought he was rich. He's not rich, I guess. Um, he's rich. He, I think he couldn't reach his parents. Yeah, that's what it was. 
everything in the school is in the professor's name. Go to the bank. We could attract suspicion ourselves. And the last thing we need now is a delay. So you see, Miss King, we must have some money to help out our teacher. Oh, so maybe he doesn't go there as Warren Worthington because we're trying to be undercover. I don't know. That's weird. It does seem odd they can't just say, hey, Warren, ask your dad mm-hmm. for cash. Your dad right. is rich. Or just tap into your own bank account and buy us a plane ticket. Right. That's odd. Sell the Rolls Royce. Um, Somebody gets punched in the solar plexus. I think it's page 12. Yeah. yeah page 12. Beast. Uh, yeah, Beast. What a graphic way of illustrating the point right in my solar plexus. Okay, I, wanna, I want to thank my father. Um, there are many things I don't want to thank him for, but I want to thank him for teaching me the word solar plexus. I never knew what it was until he taught me the word in um, our you know, self-defense training classes. And I want to thank all those assholes in grade school who also drove the idea home, much in the way that Mekano does with the beast right here. <laughs> that it's a good place to punch somebody? Yep. Yeah. I got punched in the solar plexus by a basketball once. It really hurt. Yeah, and it knocks your breath away and it spasms oh, yeah. your diaphragm. You can't breathe. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's, it's, it knocked me right on the ground. It was really It's weird. pretty terrible. Yeah, it's the worst. Um, the only other thing I have on this is that there is a lot to be said with the ending of this story about entitled men failing upward. <laughs> okay. Because, I mean, this is a thing that he is out there committing crimes. I'm not sure if they're felonies, but they're certainly major crimes. Uh, threatening people, uh-huh. causing lots of ruckus. And all he has to do is say, I'm sorry, dad. And dad's like, okay, I'm sorry too. In fact, we're going to make your life better to try to help you, you know, feel yeah. more at home and loved. And it's just like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That Sergeant Fury issue was better where the dad was just like, eh, arrest him. That was, yeah. <laughs> Certainly somebody a, committing crimes should get, you know. Yeah. He's, he's a war criminal. Just arrest him. I don't know. He's my son, but eh. Little rich boy goes out in a mech, in a mechanized suit and starts terrorizing people because he doesn't feel loved by his dad. That's not an okay story. Yeah. Now we're going to go to the research center and and where you stole all this stuff and just pay them a lot of money. Right. right. Yay, Dad. Let's do that. It's a date. So this guy comes <sighs> back and oh, ne- no. never issues. Oh, good. You tricked me. <laughs> I did. I but did you know – and I don't know the answer to this, but the back of this dude's head is really ringing some bells for me. Mm. Pretty sure I've seen that head in the Marvel handbook. So now I'm like okay. trying to rack my brain as to who that dude is. But I don't know, and I'm not looking it up because I kind of want to be surprised also. Looks familiar, though. Well, there have been a lot of distractions along the way. We've been talking about this ever since issue mm. 27, at least. My but God. I think we're actually going to get a confrontation with Factor 3 next issue. Thank God. Yeah, they really are milking it, aren't they? Yep. All right. So I think we have time for Spider-Man. Let's do it. And then we can end the month, and it'll be maybe a little long, but that's okay. Nah, it'll be fine. We're going to end on a happy note, too. Yeah, that, too. So amazing Spider-Man. Wait, is this me or you? You. Okay, Amazing Spider-Man 53. Fantastic. Look who's back. It's Doc Ock. Nuff said in a John Romita issue, not a Ditko issue. Enter Dr. Octopus, but as my son reminded us, only with his consent. Um, And Spidey is uh, hanging out outside of the Daily Bugle. And I do literally mean hanging. He is perched under some webs. 
And he's like reading the Daily Bugle about how Jonah Jameson and Frederick Foswell were the heroes in the case of the Spider-Man and the Kingpin crimes. Foswell lost his life. And Spider-Man's like, I think I'm just going to cancel my subscription here. This is terrible. Meanwhile, J. Jonah Jameson is like, all right, all right, you web swollen weasel. When you finish applauding, send your thank you notes to Smiling Stan Lee and Jazzy Johnny Ramita. Come to think of it, Mickey DeMeo Embellisher and Artie Semic Letterer might like to hear from you too. So Spider-Man swings down, throws the newspaper at J. Jonah Jameson, remembers he has to go to class, swings over to campus. Gwen and Flash are hanging out, and they're talking about how something's been bugging Harry Osborne. What's been bugging Harry? His absent roommate. Harry's always, uh, Harry's complaining because Peter's always out, and Harry's having to play secretary for him. Is it Greg or Craig? And, um... (laughs) Spider-Man smuggles himself in through the skylight of the gym and Professor Miles Warren walks in and Spider-Man's like, oh no, quick change. He's Peter Parker shimmying down a rope. Makes me feel kind of funny. And uh, Miles Warren's like, hey, uh, Peter, how are you? He's like, I'm great. He's like, I was going to ask you if you want to go out tonight. And Peter's like, "Um, I'm thinking I'm dating somebody else. He's like, okay, bring her along. We'll make it a trio. And he's like, okay, where are we going to go? I think we should go do some science. There's a new science exposition. Let's go see what's happening in the science exposition. He's like, okay, that sounds like my origin story. Let's go do that. (laughs) Okay, so Peter and Gwen make a date to go see uh, Professor Miles Warren at the science exhibit. Peter runs into Harry. Harry gives him the cold shoulder. Flash says a couple rude things to Peter. Peter almost punches him, then walks away because Gwen plays Peacemaker. And Harry and Flash are in the Hate Pete camp, and Gwen and Peter are going to go off with Miles Warren. So they go to the science exposition where they are demonstrating how a newly declassified invention can help protect against missile attacks. Um, it's called a, is it a nullifier? What's it called? Illuminator? Nullifier. Nullifier. Mm-hmm. So in the audience at the science exposition is a hunched over figure with a rather large uh, cloak about his shoulders. He takes off the cloak and it was large because it's covering up octopus arms. It's Dr. Octopus ready to steal the ultimate nullifier. Oh, it's not the ultimate nullifier. I'm sorry. It's just a regular nullifier. And um, Dr. Octopus steals it. The cops try to stop him. Peter's like, oh, no, how am I going to turn into uh, Spider-Man? Gwen and Professor and Peter all run out of the building. And Peter's like, okay, I'll just let myself get separated in the crowd. So he does. He turns into Spider-Man and goes and fights Dr. Octopus and tries to get the nullifier away from him. And the fight goes out of the building. It goes onto the roof. Gwen and Miles are looking for Peter. They can't see him. Spider-Man splooges web on Dr. Octopus's glasses and Dr. Octopus throws the nullifier over the side of the building. Spider-Man's like, oh no, that will kill dozens of people if it hits the ground. I'm going to catch with my webs. He catches it with his web. Dr. Octopus is like, I can't get the scoop off my face, but my arms will help me get out of here. They know where to go. So he uses his arms to get out of there. Spider-Man gets back to the roof. Oh, Dr. Octopus is gone. But I tagged him with one of my spider tracers. So that'll be okay. So he follows Dr. Octopus's signal. Dr. Octopus gets back to his lab, finds the spider tracer on his belt. It's like, <gasps> it's a transmitter shaped like a spider. Spider-Man must have planted there so he could track me down. I think it's time to turn the tables. The tables will turn. I'll play some turntables. 
And meanwhile, Spider-Man uh, does not yet go after Dr. Octopus. He goes, changes back to Peter Parker. And is like, okay, time to put on another one of my award-winning performances. I'll just have to come up with another excuse. And he goes up to Gwen. It's like, I'm so sorry, Gwen. I was going to get a camera. And she's like, it doesn't matter where you were, Pete, as long as you're back. And I realized you're so habit-forming. I think I'm in love. Doesn't say that, but that's kind of where it goes. And he's like, <gasps> she didn't ask for an explanation. This is the best woman I have ever met. <laughs> I can be Spider-Man and she'll never question it. Great. So uh, they asked the professor to drop them off at the coffee bean. They go into the coffee bean. Flash and Harry and Mary Jane are hanging out there talking. Um, Peter and Gwen show up. There's the usual um, conflict between the boys. For no reason whatsoever, Aunt May and Anna Watson are at the coffee bean. They came to tell Peter that they're going to rent out the upstairs room of Anna Watson's house because they don't need it. And it would help make some money so they can pay their mortgage or rent or whatever. Um, so Peter's like, great. You know what? Uh, I'll see you folks later. I'm going to walk these uh, ladies home. And it gives him an excuse to go trace after Dr. Octopus. So um, Harry and Flash are not complaining because they have Gwen and MJ all to themselves. Peter turns into Spider-Man. Goes after his spider tracer. He sees a warehouse, looks in the window, and there's Dr. Octopus hunched over a chair. But he's like, huh, I see my spider tracer. It's not actually on Dr. Octopus anymore. It's on the chair and those things can't walk. And also, I just happen to notice that that Dr. Octopus isn't moving. It feels like a trap. Spoiler is it is a trap because I forgot to tell you, Dr. Octopus totally set up this fake Dr. Octopus. And Spider-Man throws a web ball at it and it causes the warehouse to explode. And Dr. Octopus is like, yes, Spider-Man got exploded real good. I'm going to go find a place to hide up. So innocent, it'll be above suspicion. Spider-Man's like, I'm going to go find Dr. Octopus. And he does not realize he will find him at Aunt May's boarding house. <sighs> Next issue. Awesome. Yes. That was a really cool ending or cliffhanger. A, yeah. Uh, a little tease for the future. Like it's not an event, but it's like a tease of what's going to happen. So, yeah. well, it's a very dangerous situation, isn't it? Right, right, right. But there's so much to love in this issue. Mm-hmm. There's dynamics. There's Peter and Gwen getting closer. There's professor miles Warren being a little bit creepy. Um, He's the Jackal, by the way. Yes. A hundred issues from now, he's going to be the perpetrator of the original Clone Saga. But we're not going to get to a hundred issues for like uh, five or ten years at least. Because he's a scientist teacher. So he clones things. So this is his first like social outing with Peter and Gwen. And he says a couple of creepy things about Gwen's beauty and about spending time with Peter. And it just feels a little bit weird. Not overtly weird, but mainly weird in the light of what happens later. I always feel it's a little weird when teachers drive students around. This happens in TV and movies sometimes. And I always find it super weird. And I don't know why, but I do. Right. It's like a crossover that shouldn't be happening. And I think, and and especially in modern cultural norms, that would be considered um, taboo. Yeah. Like, like for my own job, it's not explicitly forbidden in the professional standards to not escort a child home. But why but risk it? Is it is strongly discouraged. Yeah. yeah. Like why yeah. offer to give a kid a ride home? Because you never know what that kid's going to say about you. you know? Right. Being alone with another st- with a student yeah. is a very risky situation. Right. They could totally use that against you or vice versa. So, yep. Really weird. 
Um, do you think Harry's really mad that Peter's not around, or do you think Harry's mad that Gwen likes Peter? Because oh. the around thing kind of seemed like a suspicious reason to be that butthurt, in my opinion. Right. I don't know. And he was, he has been like casually dating Gwen or seen with Gwen all the time. So, and he was dating Gwen. He was dating Gwen. By the way, Amazing Spider-Man number 53, officially the issue where Gwen Stacy Ramita becomes Gwen Stacy Ramita. For me, She looks anyway. like Gwen Stacy, yeah. Like there's zero elements that aren't right now. It's just perfect. She is wearing a hat instead of the headband, but that headband, that classic 121 outfit, uh, issue 121 outfit, mm-hmm. is what she's always immortalized in, but she's allowed to wear other clothes. Yeah. This is, this is yeah, Gwen yeah. Stacy to the T. Yeah. And I like her. I don't know what kind of hat that is. I think it's kind of a frumpy hat, but frumpy in a cool, chic way. Yeah. Yeah. It's less about the outfit, more like up until now, her eyebrows weren't quite right or her eyes were mm-hmm. a little more sinister than I would think of for Gwen Stacy. But now she just looks like the wholesome girl next door. So it took him a full 15 issues to get there. Yeah. Or maybe that's what how long it took him to realize that they wanted to go a different direction with her. Because I think initially she was going to be like the new Liz Allen or something. Right. Uh, one thing about her uh, – in most retellings, Gwen is depicted as a science nerd. Mm-hmm. In some retellings, she's depicted as as nerdy as Peter. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's very little in the original source material to support that. But well, in this issue, it yeah. does say she is a science major. Yeah. And he's like, you want to go to the expo? She's like, oh, heck yeah. So Yeah. So even if we don't like see that. a whole lot of it, I like it. That it is I did notice that because that's like a big – in the – not the cat, but the actor, the Garfield era, or mm-hmm. whatever. Like Gwen was, Emma, Emma Stone was like working at Oscorp. Right. Because she was all full-blown science major and all that. That was cool. I like it too. Yeah. Um, when they go to the science expo, Professor Warren is like, I think you'll see how a lot of our seemingly unrelated theories can be applied here. And I really liked that phrase, seemingly unrelated theories. Uh-huh. I feel like that really well describes a lot of math and science instruction. Mm. That like, you don't really get the feel for how all of this works together in one system mm-hmm. until you know most of the system. Yeah. Do you think Doc Ock is not just always sporting a cape or do you think it was just to cloak himself in this particular case? I think it was to cloak himself with this particular case, but it is a good example of him wearing clothes over his octopus, which I think is something he does more of. Uh, oh, he does lose the cape by page 11. So, yeah, I guess it wasn't that important to him, to his outfit. This jumpsuit, I feel like, is a thing. Like, Oh, yeah. Th- through the 80s, he wears yeah, a yeah. green jumpsuit. Oh, yeah. This is this is how I think of Doc Ock, like all the toys and the mm-hmm. Secret Wars toys. And the crossovers and all that. He's wearing the... The green frog suit with the giant lime green belt that seemingly does nothing. Um, he does want to be a crime boss now. I don't, and I, I know that he was a crime boss with the master planner, but I always feel it's weird when Dr. Octopus wants to be a crime boss. I never realized how just crazy Dr. Octopus is. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I guess I never really thought about what his motivations were, but since we've read him from the beginning now, it's like he gets in that horror. He was kind of... He had a big ego even before he was Doc Ock, but right. he was an upstanding civilian. And then, like, he gets in this explosion. It just seems like he's just frantically wanting to be a bad guy in any way, shape, or form that will make it, that will take. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't really necessarily have any sort of reason for existence other than 
he got in a horrible accident. So I wonder if someday there's ever any issues where like he gets therapy or something, you know, he seems much crazier than I ever realized before. Uh, I don't really know what happens to him after the superior Spider-Man storyline, Oh, because that's a really big impact on him as a person. And in the current animated Spider-Man series, that that's like a culmination of that character's storyline in a lot of really cool ways. Uh Um, but with modern animation, they can take a lot of different storylines from the comics, retool them and refashion and fit them to their needs and tell and make them work together in like this, you know, mm-hmm. extended narrative in yeah. ways that are really cool. But like, you know, why does he want to be a crime boss? Well, why does he want to be anything? You know, like what? Right. Why isn't he just a good guy with arms? He loves his arms. He doesn't think of himself as a freak or anything. So it's like, mm-hmm. it just seems like he got scarred by that explosion and he's never quite been the same. <laughs> he was the master planner for a while. So he had a gang of purple dudes. Yeah, He's that's lost right. his gang of purple dudes. They do flash back to that in this, don't they? They flash back to it with some miscolored Spider-Man that makes it look a little bit... Um, Less cool. <laughs> well, it's like he's not wearing his entire spider costume. Right. And when I was reading this to Keenan, I was reading it from the, um, from the digital comicsology version. So I didn't see this miscoloring until right now as we're reading it for the show. <laughs> well, he has a well-placed leg. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, can Spider-Man Spider-Tracer be any bigger at this point? Like, oh my gosh, what the heck? What happened to microtechnology? It's so big. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's giant and it's spider shaped. So it's like, there's zero stealth here. I'm thinking it should be no bigger than like a quarter. Right. But the, he's holding it up and it's like three inches across. Yeah. It's bigger than a ruffle potato chip. You know, it's definitely bigger than ruffles. Um, oh, I love that panel. The last panel on uh, page 15, like not to gush about art too much, but man, that Ramita sure draws pretty, pretty ladies. Well, just her, her affection for Peter is yes. so clear. That's in this. fine. I am so on board with the Gwen. Like I mentioned this in a previous issue where they really played with my emotions and I really was into MJ for five whole seconds. Uh huh. And then like. Gwen won over and that's exactly how Peter's been. And that's just like, I'm on board with it. I'm on the same train. Like I want the two of them to hook up. We're a full 10 issues past the introduction of Mary Jane. And yeah, I, I mean, I like her, but I, it's time for Gwen. Yeah, for sure. I guess with the idea that we know someday Mary Jane will be more important, but for right now, I liked Gwen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I like the signage for the coffee bean. It looks like it's trying to be, what the coffee a go go in the X Men actually is. Uh-huh. It's trying to be that beatnik coffee shop, and it's just not. There is no Bernard in here reciting poetry to Snaps. No, and the issue's all the poorer for it. Yes. It'd be cool if they all went to the same coffee place, but I guess that'd be also be kind of weird. But I feel like in the Spider Man X Men four issue mini that came out in the mid two thousands that there is a scene where they're all in the same coffee house. Oh wow. Either Peter tries out their shop or they try out Peter's shop. What are the other? Well, let's see. Peter is a Queens guy, right? Is that true as of mm-hmm. right now? Yeah. Yeah. And they're uh, – I don't know what they are. Westchester. Winchester, is Westchester even in the city? Um, It's north of the city. Yeah. So when they go into the city, I guess they could go anywhere they want, right? Or I don't know. I guess that's more yeah, Manhattan for them. I don't really I don't know, know. If, if their coffee shop is all the way in Manhattan or if it's more closer to them tell that i've lived in the west coast my entire life i know nothing right about right. new york but anyway so really, keenan pointed out uh-huh, i'm sorry go, go ahead, ahead. keenan pointed out on page 19 yeah 
when Spider-Man's looking through that window, uh-huh. he comments on the spider tracer. Uh-huh. How can he tell where it is? It's not in the right angle for him to be able to see it. That is a bummer. But I did like that he was like, how can my spider tracer move? That was cool. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a cool little deduction. But yeah, you're right. Art, art, artistically, they kind of screwed that up a little bit. Uh, you, were, you were starting to say something a second ago. No, that's all I was going to say is I, I like that that deductive reasoning on Spider-Man's part. Yeah. That that's how it was a trap. And it was cool that he just threw in a little like web ball. I'm down with the web balls. That makes sense to me. I could see a web ball. Web balls are great. Yep. Web parachute. No web ball. Yeah. That's easy. Yeah. Make a goop ball. He pulls out a little slingshot and yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Just throw it at people. So here's my question with the whole Aunt May Dr. Octopus thing. Uh huh. Will she remember that he kidnapped her that one time? With Betty Brandt. <gasps> I didn't even think about that. I bet the answer is no, but it should be yes. <laughs> it should be yes, right? <laughs> yeah. Don't they date at some point? I don't know. They they almost get married. Yeah. Is she going to remember that when he got when he kidnapped her on that day? I don't know. Mm. I'll have to find out when we get there. Okay. We that's, did it. That's it for July. That Oh, that's right. We've got a job ahead of us. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I forgot. Okay, so July is big because um, we have a couple of annuals on top of everything else, and our list of stories is already getting um, formidable. So Sergeant Fury 46, they also serve with the medics. Um, Strange Tales 161, the second Doom, which wasn't really the second Doom, but it was the one where... Uh, Nick Fury and Captain America go up against the underground thing and cause the blackout of 1965. We see the yellow oh, claw at the end. Gosh, yeah, yeah. And then Doctor Strange versus Baron Mordo. He gets confined to a weird zone instead of Victoria Bentley and Nebulos shows up at the end. Tales of Suspense 94. If this be Modoc, Captain America infiltrates Abe and fights Modoc and teams up with um, Agent 13, who doesn't have a name yet. Also, Iron Man up against Titanium Man and Half-Face. Daredevil Annual 1, where they are up against the Emissaries of Evil with Electro. Um, Thor 144, where Thor and the... um, Oh, yeah, this Battleground Earth, where he and the Enchanters are on that asteroid up in space. Everybody loses their power while Odin fights the fight. And then the fight gets resolved, but they're stuck on Earth. Mm-hmm. And in the backup strip, things finally actually start to happen with the um, destruction of the 40 Satan Riders. Daredevil 32, Daredevil versus um, Hyde and Cobra in the lighthouse, and he gets his sight back at the end. The Avengers 44 with Avengers versus Red Guardian. And then we're back to the stuff we covered this issue. Fantastic 467 with the um, Science Citadel Beehive Place and him. Avengers King Size Special with Avengers versus uh, the Mandarin's team, the Mandarin's Moonies. Tales to Astonish 96, Submariner versus the Dorma and the Plunderer. And then the Hulk versus High Evolutionary and the New Men. X-Men 36 with Mechano and Amazing Spider-Man 53 with... Uh, Dr. Octopus. Dr. Octopus. Okay. Well, first of all, this is a bummer month because it's really the end of June and then July. So I can't seem to put that all. I can't put that all on one screen on Mike's Amazing World of DC and look it over. So that's a bummer. 
but your I think calendar I figured it out shifted. anyway. Okay. Um, what is your most and least liked? I'm going to give Shield my least liked. Okay. And not because it's not drawn well, and maybe even the story's okay, but it annoys me that Starenko's like, you know, we've only got a few years of continuity. I'm just going to ignore them completely because Nick Fury has always been James Bond to me. So even though this is a flashback story that takes place 20 years ago, I'm going to just draw him the way I want to draw him now and explain some weird blackout thing that nobody cares about. In his efforts to be cool, you feel like he messes up. Yeah. If this is really a flashback, then where's freaking Dum Dum and Jasper Sitwell and Suits? And, yeah. And it, yeah. Just, it just doesn't gel with me. And actually, I just don't even think the story was all that exciting either. It was kind of just whatever. Except for the Fantastic Four randomly showing up. It was kind of just mm-hmm. whatever. And I've since read the next issue and know that this story means nothing. So, yeah. That's my least favorite. Alrighty. And my favorite is Amazing Spider-Man 53. Yay, Spider-Man. Because it's John Romita and Dr. Octopus and renting rooms from Aunt May, and it's cool. And Gwen Stacy. So I'll confess, I have been a bit dismayed with my reading of late. I feel like there's a lot of stories I'm having trouble connecting to. Mm -hmm. And big extended fight scenes without a whole lot of character drama underlying them is not helping. Mm-hmm. So for that reason, I'm giving Daredevil Annual One mm-hmm. my least favorite. Well, I think our problem is is we're just stuck in annual land right now, and that's their approach to all the annuals. It's like let's just have them fight a long time, right? Yeah, and 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 you know, I've read next episodes issues for the most part, and the Fantastic Four Annual and the Spider-Man Annual is more of the same. So yep. I'm just I want to enjoy those more. And I feel bad because I, I like my podcast to be mostly positive and I'm having a little bit hard time finding it. During yeah. this recording, I have tried to pull out what I like from each story. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite, okay, this month had a lot of stories that were on the lower side of Midland. Mm-hmm. I liked the Sergeant Fury story. Yes, that was good. I was excited for the Fantastic Four story. Mm-hmm. And I really liked the Spider-Man story. Mm-hmm. And the rest of it was just a little bit ho hum, um, not all yeah. of it, but those were the ones I liked the most. Yeah. So I want to give my favorite also to Spider Man because right. that was one that was one of my favorite issues of Spider Man we've read in a while. Yeah, good stuff. And I bet next issue is going to be even more interesting. Yes. So much angst. Well, annual first, then issue again. Oh well, the annual is not going to be so interesting, but. <laughs> All right, so that brings us to the end of July 1967, which brings us to the end of an episode, which is a phrase I have not said in so long. Mike, <laughs> well, actually, before you say where we can find us, you have to give here's the homework. your homework. Yep. Homework for next week. We are going to knock out almost all of August 1st next week. That's going to be Sergeant Fury 47, Fantastic Four King Size 5, Strange Tales 162, Thor 145, and probably Amazing Spider-Man King Size 4. Those are all on the docket for tomorrow or next week's episode. Um, so with that in mind, Mike, where can they find us? Go to makearsmarvel.com. There you'll find every episode, of course. Uh, you'll also find links to all the popular apps that go directly to our show. Or you can just type Make Ours Marvel into your favorite app. Hopefully we show up. If not, on the website, there's also an RSS feed you can plug into your favorite app, hopefully. Um, either that or go to uh, uh, 
our social media links on Facebook and Twitter, or you can write us directly, podcast at makearsmarvel.com. Also on makearsmarvel.com is a PayPal link. Uh, in case you want to leave a tip in the tip jar to show your appreciation for the show, we always appreciate those of you who are contributing. We uh, really love that some of you have set up monthly donations, and those are fantastic. They really help us out, and also they make us feel loved, mm-hmm. which is probably the more important part. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, Twitter for myself is at John Reads Comics. I do a lot of tweeting on there about the comics that I read, the comics uh, covers of the what I'm reading, trying to see how many comics I can squeeze into my 42nd year on Earth. Um, I don't think I'm going to hit 2,000, but I really want to. And Mike is on Twitter, at Kaiser the Great. I don't know how many comics, Mike, you squeeze Not into 2000. your 42nd year. Yeah. You can count them on this show, probably. <laughs> <laughs> But um, you can follow us on Twitter over there. And until next week, or until those guys at the Beehive find another cocoon at the bottom of the bay with Jean Grey inside, make ours marvel. marvel.